Welcome to the Range Project Podcast. My name is Chris McGrory, and I just graduated from Harvard, where I pitched on the baseball team and studied psychology and economics. And in these conversations, I'm just trying to learn from the amazing people around me. Since I'm surrounded by such great people, I want to learn what my guests do and how they do it. That means getting the tips and tricks they use, plus the mental frameworks they have, so you and I can apply them in our own lives. Now, I want to first say I think this episode is the most important one to date. In this one, I sit down with Derek Shadig, and we talk all things mental health. Now, back in 2019, Derek was courageous enough to put pen to paper and ink an article chronicling his experience with major depressive disorder, later diagnosed properly as bipolar 2, as a first-year student-athlete on the Harvard hockey team. In this conversation, Derek tells the same story he shared in that article, down but not out, plus a whole lot more. Specifically, much of our conversation centers around the importance of language, both in how we describe mental illness using words like diagnosis, symptoms, and treatment, plus what support networks can say to best be there for those we know who are struggling. Personally, I learned so much from Derek. Explaining mental illness in terms of having symptoms really, really clicked for me and made me realize how unfair my closed-minded judgments I've kept to myself have been at points in the past. More generally, he taught me how mental illness does not discriminate. I mean, on paper, what could be better than being a D1 athlete, playing the sport you love at a school like Harvard? And you'll quickly tell that Derek is upbeat, positive, personable, and more than just what we talk about today. But like I said, mental illness does not discriminate. Now, Derek is so vocal about his experiences because he hopes it can reduce the stigma surrounding mental health illness and help someone out there like himself know that it's okay to not be okay. But before listening, I do want to preface that we discuss some mental health episodes that may be triggering for some. So please, use your discretion. Now, with that said, I know there is something for everyone in this one. So please enjoy Derek Shadig. One, two, three, do it! Derek, what's up, my friend? How you doing? Hey, Chris, doing well. How you doing? I'm good. And can you uh, tell everybody where you are calling from right now? Yeah, right now I'm actually in my hometown in Chelsea, Michigan. And yeah, very nice. And do I see, it looks like you might be in a childhood bedroom or where are you now? Uh, I actually had to go over to my sister's house. She has a better Wi-Fi connection, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I'm sure the listeners do too. We'll get that, that crispy clean audio. So yeah, I just want to say big thank you to you being down to, uh, to chat and thank you to Mike Pomiglia, past podcast guest for connecting us. He said, oh, you guys will get along. It's an awesome dude. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, he was a great guy. So um, this will be good. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, if we want to just jump right into it, I think I would love to just have like a better understanding of 
like you and maybe tell me a little bit about growing up and your childhood, just like at a high level, like what was childhood? Like, do you have siblings? Like, uh, what was family life growing up in Chelsea? Yeah, totally. So I had a really cool childhood. Um, I have an older brother and sister and they've always been like, really like inspirational to me in a lot of ways. Um, my older brother played hockey. That's how I started playing. Um, he just kind of, I would always go to the rinks with him and stuff when I was younger. And he was like, man, like you should give this a shot. And obviously I thought I was the coolest guy in the world. So I was like, I have to try this. And then, uh, he, uh, he's actually the reason I started playing goalie too. Um, because he and his buddies like needed someone to shoot on, like no one wants to stand there and get like puck shot at them. So he was like, Oh, like, we'll just put my little brother in that. And, uh, the rest is kind of history with that. But, um, yeah, so, uh, good childhood, um, grew up like playing like all kinds of sports, like baseball, soccer, football. So a pretty active kid. Yeah. And I was born and raised in Chelsea until, uh, we moved to like a, a slightly uh, different town later in high school, but yeah. Very nice. And what were, um, dinner table conversations like growing up? Yeah, they were, they were pretty funny. Um, so everyone kind of like is like very like unique personality in the family. I'd say like my dad was like, was like a potato farmer growing up. So, um, that's pretty interesting. And then, uh, him and my mom both worked at university of Michigan for like 30 years, like each or something like that. So that's that. And then, um, uh, my sister, she's like the, uh, like the dietitian, like, like, like good at everything, like kind of person. And, uh, my brother's like the funny one and like, you know, likes to have a good time. And like, um, he's like that personality. And then I just kind of fit in as like the, like the, uh, like the hard worker, like good, like humored, like nice guy. So, um, <laughs> so that. yeah, that's kind of how I fit in. So, um, yeah. so it's like a interesting uh, blend of personalities, but, um, but it, it works for us. Like they're, they're always exciting, um, funny conversations and, um, yeah. And were your parents academics, like professors at U Michigan? Yeah, no, they, they worked at, um, they were managers at like plant facilities or plant operation, I think it's called. Um, so like basically like, like back inside, like, uh, like university of Michigan, like making sure that everything's like functioning well and like on campus and things like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I could only imagine having two professors, those dinner table conversations might be a little different than, than mine at, yeah. at home. So, okay. Gotcha. You're, you're painting me a good picture. And how about you said you played a bunch of sports growing up Were was it something that came naturally to you? Did you always find that you were the best on whatever youth team, high school team you, you were on growing up? I definitely wouldn't say that I was like the best at like any sport really until like, I, I kind of like found my groove in hockey. Um, and that's how I ended up at Harvard, but yeah, like I was, I was definitely not like a natural born athlete. Like that really kind of like hindered me in a way because like, I just grew up with that mentality of like, you're not like a natural born athlete. Like I wasn't like the best at everything I did. So, and then like, once I like started like get better at hockey and like, put all the work in and, um, started improving and stuff. I was still that mindset of like, you know, like you're not like a natural born athlete, like, like somehow like, you're like lesser than like these other people that you're playing with, even though like I was in retrospect, like just as good, if not better. So it took me a while to like get over that hump of like fully, like believing in myself, and, like knowing like where I stand in a group of athletes. That kind of resonates with me, especially coming into college. You just like kind of start doubting how, how good you are. So I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that later, but you like maybe the majority of 
Harvard hockey players and especially D1 hockey players chose to play junior hockey. And I would imagine that a lot of listeners have no idea what the heck this like two year gap year where you're playing, you're traveling around playing hockey and you're on these teams, you're getting traded and it's like kind of semi-pro, but you're not paid and you're being put up by host families. What was that experience like playing? I imagine two years of juniors, right? Yeah. So it's definitely a crazy experience for sure. Um, so like a little bit about Chelsea, like it's a smaller town in Michigan. Um, and it's kind of like a joke, like within Chelsea, like you're raising like the Chelsea bubble. Like it's like very like sheltered and, um, like everything's like very good two shoes and wrapped up in a bow tie. So, um, I was just like excited to get out. I was like, man, like I'm gonna see the world now. Like this is going to be great. And then I ended up going to, um, my first team was in Janesville, Wisconsin which I thought was like big time. I was like, man, like I'm in the big city now. Like, this is great. And so I was there, um, for a year, um, except for there's like different levels of leagues of juniors. So I started off in the second highest league in the U S and then for two weeks, I got pulled up to the highest league in the U S in, uh, in Nebraska of all places. And so I like, literally like I went to practice one day and I had like a really bad game, like the day before or like the week before or something like that. So I, my coach calls me in the office. I'm like, oh man, I'm getting traded. Like, this is going to suck. Um, he calls me in the office and he's like, Hey, like Lincoln, like in, in Nebraska, in the league above you, like they want to like call you up. And I was like, stunned. I like, he, he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just didn't expect this. Like, I didn't want to tell him that I thought I was going to get traded, but I was like, I did not expect this at all. And he was like, okay, well, like they got to know right now if you want to go. And I was just, I thought about it for like 30 minutes before practice. And then I like, told him on the ice and I was like, yeah, like I'll go. So literally after practice was done, I went back to my host family and I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm leaving for two weeks. And I just packed up my car, drove to Lincoln, Nebraska. It was like, I don't know, like a 10 hour drive or something like that. And played there for two weeks, came back to uh, Wisconsin, finished the year there. And then um, they had like drafts for these leagues too. So I got drafted to Chicago in uh, the end of the season. And I actually have a crazy story about that too. So we were in playoffs for my team in Wisconsin, the league below. And we had just lost our last game. We ended up losing in semis, I think. And um, everyone's like, you know, like the end of the year, like everyone's crying in the locker room. Like it's a really sad moment, like very intense. And my coach like calls me out of the locker room. And he's like, Hey, like, I know this is not good timing, but um, Chicago just lost like both their goalies. Like they're injured and like they're in the playoffs right now. And like, they need a goalie. And they're like, and they're like, we need, they need you to probably fly out tonight. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And this uh, is in the league above, right? This is in the higher league. Yeah. So I was like, man, like, okay. And uh, so, but like, it wasn't like official yet. Like they still needed like to like make the like trade happen, I guess, or whatever logistics needed to happen. So I went to, I didn't end up flying out that night. I went to bed the next, or woke up the next day, messaged the GM of Chicago. And he was like, He's like, no, like the, uh, we got one of our goalie backs. Like we don't like, we don't um, need you anymore, but like, we're excited to have you next year. So yeah. So then the next year I went to Chicago, um, for like a month and a half played with uh, my teammate now Baker shore. So shout out to him. And then I ended up getting traded back to Lincoln. So same thing. Like I was with like my, my host family Dude. packed up my stuff, went straight back to Lincoln and then I was there for the rest of the year. So it's pretty crazy. And they have like, you're in like these like random, like, I mean, I was in the Midwest, but, like in these like random like towns um, and like they don't really have a lot to do except for like watch like junior hockey games. So, like the games are packed and like there's a lot of fans and like you kind of feel like a celebrity. So 
um, it's pretty cool. Um, and I've been like all over the country now, like I've been to Alaska twice, um, and then like all over the Midwest and, um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. That is so cool. And it sounds like you were, you had a fairly positive experience, but it sounds pretty cutthroat and ultra competitive. You don't know, like if you play poorly, you might be traded or cut. Do I have that right? Yeah, that was, um, definitely like one of the harder parts is like, you know, like if you had a bad game in college or something, you're just like, okay, like maybe I won't play for a while or something as a goalie, but like, at least you have another shot. Whereas like in juniors, like we don't play well, like, like, man, am I going to get traded tomorrow? Am I going to get cut? Like what's going to happen? So you're kind of always living under like that uncertainty and you just kind of have to like deal with it and roll with the punches and like accept the fact that you don't always control your own fate and just like control what you can. But it's definitely a cutthroat um, place. I, I did have like a fairly positive experience. Like I had some ups and downs, obviously, um, coming straight out of high school to juniors, which isn't like the typical path for hockey players. There's like travel leagues, like it's called AAA that most guys play instead of high school. Um, Interesting. So, um, so it was a big adjustment for me in the beginning. But yeah, I did have a fairly positive experience. Uh, I would just say that it's, uh, I got lucky for sure that like I ended up getting traded and staying in the same league and not just like getting cut and sent home, like nothing to do for a year of my life. So that's um, crazy. Yeah. And you talk about adjustments. What was that? So now you're 20 years old. What was that adjustment like from juniors coming in as a freshman at Harvard? Were you excited, intimidated? What was kind of like your mindset going into your freshman year? If you can go back, go back a few years on me. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So I remember it like pretty well. I remember when I committed that I was, I like when I was thinking about where I wanted to go to school and which school I wanted to choose, um, that I remember thinking, man, like, can I really like stick it out with the Harvard kids? Like, like one, like our hockey team was like pretty good at the time. Like I think they were number four, um, in the country and, you know, obviously like, Harvard is like a really difficult academic school. So like, man, like, can I really cut it? And then I just kind of ended up deciding, like, if you're going to bet on anyone, like you got to bet on yourself. So, so I was like, I think I can, I think I can pull it off and we're almost there now. So that's good news. But yeah. So, and then I do remember because like in juniors, I mean, you go to the rink at like nine and you practice from maybe like nine to 11 work out from noon to one. And then like, you're done for the day. Maybe you like watch video or something or stretch afterwards. And like, maybe you're done at three at the latest, but you're like done for the day. You don't have much to do. Some guys go to school. Some guys have jobs, but um, I did go to school for part of the time, but still like, you're not like super packed and busy like you are at Harvard. So I was just excited to like see someone outside the 23 guys at the rink every day and like, you know, have something to do besides hockey um, every day, all day. And yeah, I was just excited for college for sure. And no offense to other sports. Harvard hockey is Harvard is D one. And, but Harvard hockey is competitive on the national level every year vying for like a playoff bid playing in the tournament. So, and it just, even amongst like the student athletes, like you can kind of tell like Harvard hockey is like in like the top tier for college programs. What does that mean in terms of like your daily schedule? And if you could like run me through, run me through a day, because I mean, you guys have a crazy practice lift schedule like every athlete, but it just seems like it's a, a little bit more refined and polished since you guys are kind of at the, uh, the top of the food chain in college hockey. 
Yeah, totally. So um, it definitely like varies day to day, um, but like just like a, an average day, I guess. So usually like our classes are in the morning and I would say like a majority of guys have like 9 a.m. So like I probably go to class from like like nine to one maybe and um, with like 15 minute breaks in between, I think it is. Um, yeah, so nine to one, I'm in the classroom and then you have like a little break for lunch, like one to one to like two maybe. And then as a goalie, um, we have like extra practice times on top of like our normal ones. So no way. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So we're at the rink. Uh, I think we go on the ice at like maybe like two 30 and, um, some shooters come out too. So it's not like it's just us, but, um, but it's those like our scheduled times for like specific goalie things. And then like we practice from maybe like, let's say three to it really, it really depends. But like, I'll say like, maybe like four thirty, maybe five where it's like a long practice day. And then we always have like a kind of like an awkward gap maybe until like the lift times. So like you kind of have some downtime before that happens. And then, yep. yeah. And then maybe you lift from like, I don't know, like five thirty to six thirty, and then try to make it before the dining hall closes. Um, yep, you're running. Yeah. You're Sounds running like to the get baseball there. team. We're running, yeah. run yeah. into your house. If not, then you're going all the way to Dunster. Yeah. You're either trying to sprint to Elliot or you're trying to make it to Dunster by that time. But um, yeah. So, and then like you get done, like maybe you get done with dinner at like seven thirty eight, and then you have like homework to do, or like maybe you grind that out for like a couple hours and then try to have some, a little bit of downtime before you go to sleep and do it all again the next day. So, and then the same thing, like, on the weekends, it's a little bit different schedule with game days, but like, that's again, like an all day affair. So yeah, yeah we're definitely busy. Yeah. That sounds like baseball. And that was like a big adjustment for me on top of, I don't know. I came from a public high school where really good academics, but I was like in class with all these private school kids. and I just didn't feel like I was like kind of up to the task. I remember freaking out on like every first assignment, freaking out about papers and like I remember calling home just like, how am I ever going to write this paper? I've never written this many words in my life. And my mom was like, you're going to be good. Like, don't worry about it. Take a breath. If you can look back on your freshman year, how are you doing mentally in like that freshman fall? If you can recall. Yeah, totally. So I, uh, to start, I actually have um, just to touch on the academic side. I like some pretty um, interesting stories about that. So, uh, I came into school, um, like a lot of Harvard kids, like thinking I was going to be an econ major and to do that, like to be an econ major, like you have to take calc and like, everyone's told me like all my older teammates, they said like, take care of that in the summer. It's going to, you're going to like appreciate it because you don't have to do it during the school year. Cause it's like obviously a pretty intense course. And so I ended up taking it. I thought I was going to take it with three of my classmates on the hockey team. And, um, two of them were Canadian and they had some like visa issues, so they couldn't take the class. Oh no! And then another guy had some other issues and couldn't take the class. So I was like stranded by myself taking no, calc dude. and I'd never taken, um, I took like pre-calc, but I've never taken like a calc course before. So like, I didn't have a lot of background in it. So I was like, I remember calling my mom, same thing. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to survive this class. Right. Um, but I ended up working out. It's actually where I met my girlfriend now. I've been dating ever since then, actually. And, uh, she helped me through the class, but one of my first exams, I wrote about this in my article too, but my first exam in college, I ended up getting like, it was either like an F or a D. I don't remember like now, but like maybe like a C if like I was lucky, but it definitely was not a good grade. And, um, I remember like looking at it and I was like, this like 
messed up for like a day i was like there's no way like this is insane like i've never like gotten like below like something like a b plus or like something like that before in like a class and i was like i just got like my first ever whatever grade it was so i was pretty stunned by that and then also like summer school classes aren't even like with a lot of harvard kids like it's like a lot of like high school kids and like some older adults and like some harvard kids but i was like man if i can't cut out these guys like what am i gonna do at school but uh, like, you know, like it does, like you kind of learn the adjustment period um, and you get through it and you kind of like learn like how to go to school. Cause I hadn't been in school like officially for like two years at that point. Um, I did some online classes at some local community college, but nothing like Harvard. Um, yeah. So that was that the academics is definitely an adjustment, but mentally um, I was, I had like some like personal issues going on uh, before I got to school. And like, I kind of just like, I'd never like in my high school, we never really were like taught about like mental health. It was just something you didn't really like talk about too much. So I didn't really like have the tools to like deal with whatever was going on with me at the time. Um, so I knew that when I was coming out, I was man, like I had these like issues going on. Like, I'm not sure like how I'm going to deal with them. Um, so I was kind of just like, okay, I'm just going to stay as busy as I can and like trying to think about it. Um, kind of like the classic, like push it away. And then obviously like I come to school, I knew now I knew, two kids, but like, that was it. Like, I didn't know anyone else but when coming into school. And, um, so you're like, you don't know anyone you're trying to meet people, like you're, you know, away from like your friends and family. Um, so that's an adjustment too, for sure. And then obviously like, you know, I wasn't like, like super struggling academically, but like I said, it was definitely an adjustment. And then hockey wise, again, like, you know, most of my teammates are like drafted or like, like obviously like they're really good hockey players. So, um, so, and I'd play with like kids at that level before, but, um, not like kids that have been playing college hockey for four years. So, so that was kind of a shock too there. So it was kind of just like, and I'm sure that a lot of even just college kids, not even Harvard college kids can relate with the adjustment period, but I knew that like something was going on, like at the start of like the fog, I could feel something was going on, but I just, I didn't really know what was going on. That was probably the scariest part. And I, I didn't really want to like tell anyone about it either because, like we're always taught as athletes, like to like stay strong, like push through the pain, like um, right. things like that. So yeah, so that's kind of where it started. And when you say you felt something, was it like what 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 did you notice that felt off? I know, at least on for myself, it's like like a like a tightness, like it's a physical feeling, like a tightness in my chest, and like acutely. And then like I realized like that is kind of indicative of like a larger problem going on like you're not taking care of yourself what was it for you if it was physical or maybe just like kind of reflecting on how you went about your business your behavior what was it that you kind of noticed yeah so i definitely have like the same like physical symptoms i know that a lot of people do where like you know like same like tightness in the chest um things like that like maybe like like pretty sleepy or um or like like not as motivated or things like that so I definitely had like those symptoms, but I think that the biggest thing that stuck out to me is, um, you know, like I said, like I was so excited to come from juniors to like, go like meet all these cool Harvard people and like get to know everyone um, and all these things and like get to know my teammates and like, you know, like be a part of that. And I just remember thinking like, like I would wake up and I'd just be like, man, like, I don't want to see anyone today. Like, I don't want to do anything like, but I especially like, I don't want to like communicate with anyone. Like I didn't even want to go to like, well, like I didn't like, I, again, like also had a lack of appetite, but. Like, I was like, I don't want to go to the dining hall because I don't want to see anyone. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. And, like, that's, like, pretty abnormal for me, at least. Like, I'm not, like, the most social person in the world. Like, I'm definitely, like, a pretty social guy. And so, yeah. So, like, I just started to, like, distance myself from, like, um, 
from like my friends, my teammates, like um, even my family a little bit. Like I wouldn't like talk to them as much like on the phone. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a, kind of like what I, like I noticed like the most. No, that definitely gives me like a, a good idea of, of where you were coming from. And I guess, was there kind of a, um, like a disconnect or a disparity between like what you told yourself then versus like what you know or realize now, like looking back, like how you were doing, does that make sense? Uh, explain a little more. So what I'm thinking is like, for me personally, months later, or with like the knowledge that I have now, I realized like I could have handled it better or um, like I wasn't being honest with myself, like how I was actually feeling. Did you have that insight into like, oh no, I'm like not doing well. Or is that something more like you realize only looking back? Well, so first to start, um, so my original diagnosis was major depressive disorder, which is just like a fancy word for like general depression. But then like later on, like after like, it's kind of like difficult to diagnose like what I like actually have, which is bipolar two disorder. So like what that means is like that, like you have like major depressive episodes. Like I said, like, like lack of motivation, like lack of energy, uh, lack of appetite, things like that, that like are associated with depression. And then um, you also have like, they call them like hypomanic episodes, but it's like, you feel like intense, like energy, um, like you're super motivated, like you're like super confident, like your abilities and things like that. So, um, so at the time I was kind of like, like, I know like I'm having these down days, but I was like, but I snap out of it in like a week or something like that. Like, and then like, I'm fine for like a week or like better than fine. Like you feel amazing, um, almost like a high of some sort. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I definitely like, I knew that something was wrong, but like I said, like, I just had no idea what. So I was like, maybe it's just like, you're like any other college, like you're adjusting to school and like, you're like still figuring things out or maybe like, you're just so busy every day. That's why you're so tired. Or like, so there's like so many other things that were going into it that, um, that I was like, just really confused. Like I, like, I definitely like was very like perplexed, like what was going on at the time. And I do remember also that like people close to me, they would say like, you know, like something's up or like, like maybe like you need help or to go talk somewhere or something like that. And I was like, I just remember thinking like, no, nah, it's not that bad. Like, like kids, like pe people who like go like see a therapist, like they're like, you know, like in like a dire need and like, you know, like possibly in a crisis or something like that. And I was like, I'm just like, I'm just sad. Like, it's like not like that big of a deal. Um, and I, and then also like, I think for a lot of, a lot of um, successful people or, Harvard kids or type A people, maybe that they always think like, like I can handle this on my own. Like, I don't need like someone else to like, to like do this with, or like to help me with this. Like I've done everything else, you know, and like I've been successful and like, I can get through this like on my own. So yeah. So at the time I was kind of falling into those pitfalls and like confused and uh, yeah, it was a scary time for sure. So question was this before like a, a uh, proper diagnosis that yeah. you kind of resisted. Okay. Yeah. And I remember having like a similar resistance against seeking out help for myself, like eventually saw like a top sports psychologist who really helped me kind of come out from a whole like performance wise. That was not a performance issue. It was a, like a between the ears issue, not issue, but just something that I needed to work on. And I want to, 
make a note in your article down but not out that you mentioned and that there's a great video that you have online of a really candid but also personable kind of assembly speech that you gave at your high school just about your experience and like mental health advocacy more generally and one thing i noticed was that you're really intentional about like the language you use to describe kind of mental illness and your experience. So could you just kind of share with me and the listeners, like, how do you frame this illness? And like, what is the the language you like to use to describe it? Like, I noticed you said, like, I was diagnosed with this X, and then that's kind of how you frame it. But could you expand on that? Yeah, totally. Um, so again, going back to like, like, you know, growing up in like the Chelsea bubble and like um, my childhood and things like that, I wasn't really exposed to like mental health literacy or um, anything like even close to that. Um, and I remember the first time that like, like it kind of clicked in my head is I was talking to one of my teammates um, after I kind of told, I told my classmates first uh, on the hockey team, what was going on um, towards the end of the year. And I remember one of them came up to me and he was like, he was like, man, like I've had like some similar experiences. Like I was diagnosed with this, this, this. And I remember thinking like, man, diagnosed, like, like I don't have cancer. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like diagnosed, like that's crazy. And then I ended up becoming um, a psychology major and I kind of learned more uh, about like the, you know, the literacy of mental health and like the right language to use maybe. And so I like to, um, you know, like emphasize that like, you know, like it is an illness and like it's a diagnosis and that, you know, that like, it's something that can be treated. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that, um, it's something that, like you go through on your own, like maybe you just like work your way out of, or like push your way out of like by yourself, but it's something that like you should seek help for and like that it can be treated. So that I think provides a lot of hope for people, um, when they need it and are searching for answers. And I also like to emphasize, um, the word symptoms a lot, um, because people like to describe it as like, you know, like feelings, which they are, um, or just like, you know, like being like blue or like, things like that, like one of the more generic terms. But I think that when you phrase it in the word of like symptoms, um, it like kind of like legitimizes it as an illness, first of all. And then um, makes you like understand that like, it's not totally in your control. Like there's definitely like distorted thoughts that you have um, and things that like you can work on, but like, it's not like totally like in your control. Like there's like a chemical imbalance that's going on in your brain. And that, um, that the result of that is symptoms that are occurring in your body and the way that um, it manifests on your behavior. So, um, that's kind of like the way I like to talk about like what I've learned through like my experience and as a psychology major. And can you expand on that idea of like your mental illness means that you're having, I think you used the word distorted, like your thoughts are distorted, almost like, almost like they're, they're not yours in that kind of tracks on to like the whole idea of it being a symptom, maybe like, where did you learn that? And then can you kind of double click on like the importance of that? It's funny because when I was writing the article um, that I wrote down, but not out, one of the titles that I was thinking about titling, it was monster in my mind, because I just remember thinking like, like when I was like having all these like distorted thoughts, which I'll get to in a second, but like that, like these, these just don't feel like necessarily totally like my thoughts kind of like it wasn't like like they were someone else's like I knew that like I was having like I wasn't like hearing voices or anything like that um but I I like just felt that like something else was going on here so yeah so when you have like certain mental illnesses 
one of the things that they talk about a lot, like in therapy is that, that you have like distorted thoughts or like distorted cognitions. And basically that just means that like, like the way that you think about things has like a more negative light to it sometimes. Um, or that, um, like a lot of times the example is like suicidal ideations. Like you have thoughts in your head that like, you don't necessarily like want to like, like perform the act of like committing suicide, but like these like thoughts pop in of like, of like, man, like maybe I just don't want to wake up tomorrow or like different, uh, different things like that. Where like, you know, like you don't want to lose your, like your family and like all your friends or things like that. But, like these ideas and like these thoughts just keep coming to your head and it kind of scares you. Like you don't know what to do with them and you kind of like panic and you're like, I'm having these thoughts. Like these aren't like, these don't feel like natural to me. Um, so yeah. So those are kind of like the distorted thoughts that are, that kind of go on for a lot of people, at least. And that's what, that was my experience at the time. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really helpful. And this is great for me because I'm learning along the way. And I think it'll be important for folks to hear, like maybe you could share what worked for you. I totally recognize this isn't like a, like, Oh, like in baseball, you tear your elbow and then you go through rehab and it's fixed. You know, this is something that is like a longer time horizon, but compared to where you were like acutely down, what were some things I know you mentioned therapy. What were some things that worked for you? I know from friends and family, just how difficult it is and how long it takes to find like the right medication um, if that's part of your treatment. So, I mean, maybe you could help me understand like what has worked for you and maybe what hasn't. I guess we'll start with what hasn't. Um, so, uh, so I came in, uh, I had like, like experimental with alcohol, like a little bit, um, like in high school, like a lot of kids, but after my sophomore year, I was like, man, like all that matters to me is like hockey. Like, that's all I want to do. Like, that's my life. Like a lot of times like alcohol can like kind of impede like, like your performance on things like that. So, or like your overall growth. Um, so I was like, I like sort off. I was like, I'm not like drinking or like smoking or doing anything like that for like a long time. And that lasted, um, until, um, I remember until like the end of the season of my freshman year of college, I had like drinking like a little bit, like during like, um, like J term, but like nothing like, uh, like it, like it got to, um, after, after season ended. And I just remember like holding off that long. Cause I, I still that mindset of like, I like, I have to be the best that I can be. And like, kind of goes this like perfectionist, like mentality, which isn't always the healthiest. But I just remember thinking that like, if I put anything bad in my body, like I'm not going to be as good as I can be. And like, that's like not acceptable. And, um, all these like black and white thoughts, which aren't healthy also then after season ended and I've been having, I mean, I've been having like these like battles in my mind for like, um, maybe like a year or like a year and a half at that point, And like been confused and scared for so long that I was, and like, I didn't know what to do. So, so yeah. So like, and like one thing that like, I found that like worked short term, like very short term was like drinking, you know, like a lot of people say like it numbs you or like at, at the time it's like kind of a high, um, kind of gets you out of like that headspace. But, um, what a lot of people like don't realize, or I didn't know at the time is like alcohol is a depressant. So like the next day when you wake up, like, first of all, like you're not like the same high that you were. And second of all, like usually you feel worse because you're hungover um, and it's a depressant. So like those chemicals in your brain are like imbalanced again. And so it definitely was not a healthy coping mechanism at all. And I hid it from a lot of people because I knew that it wasn't like a healthy thing to do, but I was just so scared. I didn't know what else to do, which is kind of like what helps me be like, like very like sympathetic to like 
I mean, I, I have never been diagnosed with like an, like a, um, like a substance abuse issue. Like it's called, um, um, self-medicating. Uh, that's like the term that like, um, therapists use. It's just like a form of self-medicating. I wasn't necessarily addicted or anything like that, but, um, but I do sympathize with them by just saying like, you're so scared. You don't know where else to turn. Like you found this thing that like kind of helps, um, in the short term, but in the long term, it makes everything like so much worse. So it does help me like understand a little bit more about why people choose to do that or are forced to do that. And then, uh, eventually, so kind of like to set straight the timeline. So I got out of a uh, season and things were going downhill. Like I had stopped showing up to class and like, wouldn't even talk to like my friends anymore really. And like, showed up to like the lifts at hockey, but like wouldn't talk to my teammates. And then uh, there was one night that I remember that I wrote about in the article too, that like I got done. I think I might've even like been with my friend. I can't remember for like a second. And then I was like, I just got to go. Like, I can't be here anymore. Like, I just got to go. And like, I got out of my room. Like I like sprinted down like the Charles river, which is like the main river on campus. Like I had nowhere to go. Like, I was just like, I can't be here anymore. Like, I don't know what to do. So I was just like running and like, and like walking and sprinting away, kind of trying to like run away from my issues a bit, I guess. And I remember like I, I got to like the side of the river and I just sat down, like started crying for like a really long time. And um, I remember like I called my parents and like, I wasn't like, like, um, like planning to like commit suicide or anything like that. But I just like had like a rush of like these like suicide ideations, like these thoughts, like I couldn't really control. I felt like, and I was like terrified. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I give up. Like, I need help. Like, like I don't know what to do. And, like, my parents like finally talked me into like getting with someone in like uh, the crisis services um, at uh, at CAMS, which is like our uh, mental health services at Harvard. And so I called and talked to them, and uh, they kind of helped deescalate the situation in the beginning. And then they get you set up with the uh, appointment at um, uh, with a therapist to kind of continue like more long term. And um, yeah. So that's kind of like the timeline of things. And then he, I remember he asked me, my therapist asked me like in my first session, so have you found anything that helps? And like, I told him about the alcohol, but I also told him about like playing guitar. Um, so I play guitar. I used to play a lot more than I do now. Um, but at the time, like, it was like one of the things that like, that helped, like, cause like, again, like I said, like school was a struggle. Hockey was a struggle. I wasn't playing a lot. Wasn't really clicking with my teammates. Cause it's hard to do that when you're not around them all the time. Cause like, you don't want to talk to anyone. And, um, yeah, so I remember talking about guitar though. And he was like, that's a great coping mechanism. Like music helps a lot of people. Um, and like, that's a great start. Like while we're continuing on this process, like just continue to do that whenever like something goes wrong or like you feel down. And then I remember, um, he suggested, and I had done a little bit of, um, writing because it's like a good way to kind of like release your thoughts a bit and maybe just like maybe just like take a step back and like when you write down those distorted thoughts, like, like kind of like, and look at it objectively, you're kind of like, that's doesn't make sense. Like, like it just doesn't make sense to me. And like, I don't want to think those things. And like, it kind of helped me realize like, okay, like I actually do need help. And also like these thoughts aren't necessarily like all like, like yours and like your fault or things like that. Cause um, there's also like a lot of guilt that like a lot of people that I know that have mental illness or, um, mental health struggles in their time. Like they feel guilty for having these thoughts or guilty for like wishing that they weren't alive or like away from their families or away from people or things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I do remember, um, playing guitar and writing was, uh, one of the first like healthy coping mechanisms that I found. And were those, was that writing kind of 
kind of like in a journal or a diary, just getting pouring thoughts on the page? Were there any questions that you would ask yourself that you remember were really helpful in prompting you to kind of get it out of your head? Or was it kind of just, did you have a, like a way of going about that writing? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't a journal and I just remember thinking at the time I was like, this is so great. Cause like, I don't want to see anyone. Like I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, and I was like, if I can just write down a piece of paper, that's like a great way of like getting it out. And I knew that like, cause at the time, again, you have so many like distorted thoughts and especially when you're on like a hypomanic episode, which is like those high, like super confident times I was telling you about with my, um, bipolar two diagnosis that like you have so many racing thoughts in your, in your mind and you like can't make sense of them all and everything's happening so fast. So I remember like, I was just thinking if I can just write these down, like maybe it'll make sense. Like maybe like, um, maybe something will click or even when I was depressed. Um, and I was like, I've had been having so many like terrible thoughts in my head for so long that I was like, if I can just get these out on paper, like they become less scary kind of, because you see that like, that they're like, not like you like you you look down on the paper and then you think about it objectively and you're just like okay like that those aren't really me like i don't actually like want to commit suicide right now or different things like that or different distorted thoughts that you're having so yeah on a on a much smaller scale i've found that to be especially helpful i'm looking up at three full moleskin journals on my on my bookshelf right here and like yeah those those pages, I'm more brutally honest with those pages than I have been with anybody in real life. And yeah, I think that that distance between yourself and the page and being able to assess it objectively has been especially for helpful in me getting through tough times. So, and I know it has for friends and family. So that's uh, very cool to hear that it helped you as well. And now maybe, maybe uh, you... Sorry, sorry. If I can just interrupt, I forgot Go to for mention... It. I forgot to mention, uh, like the most crucial element, uh, of medications for sure. Um, so, so kind of what happened with me after I left school, um, is I went, uh, I went home kind of for the summer and like, maybe I had like an internship or something like that, but it wasn't very major. And I was like, I know I just need to go home and like figure this out. Like I need to go home and heal and like understand what's going on like learn, um, and like dig myself out of this hole that I'm in. And I also remember like when I was driving home, I remember thinking like, man, like my family isn't going to like recognize me anymore. Like I'm not even like close to the same human that I was like, I remember feeling like really guilty and like, um, kind of scared. And, um, so yeah, so I got home and I, uh, immediately went and talked, set up appointments with a new therapist in Michigan. Cause, cause you have to like do it every time you move. And I remember for the first couple of sessions, like she was like super helpful and was like trying to like kind of figure things out with me. And then she brought up like, you know, like medication and, um, you know, I was kind of like, okay, like, it's not that bad. Like, I don't need that. Like, like, I don't want to be like taking pills for the rest of my life or like things like that. Um, and, um, I just remember I resisted it for a really long time. Like I know a lot of people do. And there's also kind of that feeling of like, like it's something else that like, kind of like makes you, you. Um, so that's kind of like a scary thought of like, of like, is like, are the medications making me me? Or um, is it actually me? Like, you know, like what, like, what am I anymore? Um, so you kind of have those scary thoughts going on. Um, but what I kind of learned is that like, you know, it's just kind of a, you have this chemical imbalance in your brain and it's like something that needs to be treated 
just to like get you back to yourself um, and who, who you truly are. So that's kind of how I got her on that obstacle. But like you mentioned, it's really difficult to find the right medication. So first, like they try, I went to like my primary doctor and he tried, uh, he tried one medication. And at the time I was, I think I was still diagnosed major depressive disorder. I'm pretty sure. So we tried a medication for that, but, um, you know, I was like treating the wrong thing in a way. It also takes like a while to kick in. And I was having like some pretty intense side effects. Like I didn't sleep for like four days straight, um, which was crazy. I've never done that before. So that one didn't work. And then I tried like a handful of other ones and like those didn't work. And like, it depends on the medication, but like some of them took like three or four weeks to like, before we even like knew if they were going to work. So like, it's like a full summer long process. And then, uh, eventually like we were making progress in therapy for sure. But like on the medication side, like we still didn't have anything figured out yet. Um, and it was coming time to like go back to school again for the fall of next year. And, um, that's when I had another episode where I just kind of like panicked and I was I, I like, I know I can't go back to school like this. Like, what am I going to do? And that was, uh, one of the closest I've ever come to like, you know, like attempting to like commit suicide. And, uh, that was a very scary experience for sure. Um, my sister helped me through that. Um, so shout out to her for being such a loving, amazing sister. And then obviously the rest of my family too. So after that, I was hospitalized for like a week before school started. And then there, when they're like, when you're in the hospital, um, they can kind of like toy around with the medications more because they like have supervision of you. So they like got me started on like the right, like medications, I can't, I think like, early, like later, early in the summer, I mean, um, I got my official diagnosis of like bipolar two disorder, which, uh, um, side note is like pretty difficult to diagnose for a lot of people because like I said, like you have like these like major depressive episodes for a really long time and then you come out of it and you feel so good and you're like, you're like happy about it. You're like, I finally got out of this like horrible time, like horrible thoughts, like like this, like feels fine. You don't think to like report that to your psychiatrist or therapist or right. whoever, like you're just like, finally I got out of it. Like this is me again, an enhanced version of me even it feels like at the time. And, uh, yeah, so I was hospitalized and then, uh, they kind of like adjust the medications a bit more, but not to the correct dosage yet. And again, those take time to kick in after you alter them. So I went back to school, um, and continue working with therapists and psychiatrists there. And then I hit another breaking point where um, it was, I had uh, I remember it was like midterms season. And so like, that's a pretty stressful time for a lot of kids. And I remember I had like a 15 page, like take home final exam. And I was like, I literally cannot do this right now. Like there's no way. And then also like, I uh, was again, like struggling in hockey. Like I was playing well, but um, didn't move up the depth chart all that year. So that was like another hit um, for sure. And then uh, I was having like some other personal issues going on. So it was kind of like a bunch of things like hitting at once. And then I had another episode where, um, you know, it was pretty scary. And I remember I uh, messaged my psychiatrist and I was like, hey, I'm having like these suicide ideations. Like I'm scared. I don't know what to do with them. And then I ended up like not responding to him for a while. So the next thing I, I wake up to a uh, knock on my door and it's like campus police. And they're like, you know, like you like message your psychiatrist and like, he was concerned. So he came to like pick you up and like take you to the hospital, which uh, in retrospect could have saved my life. And uh, so they took me to the hospital and then uh, they, uh, I was in the hospital again for another like week or so. And then that's when I ended up taking a gap year uh, and coming back home to like, you know, like finally figure out the medications and get balanced again and continue working through therapy. So it's definitely a long process. Uh, I don't want that to discourage anyone. Like, um, Sometimes you have to take a step forward, take, um, you know, or step backward, take two steps forward. 
and uh but there like there is hope like for sure um like i'm doing like relatively like pretty well right now and like i hope that continues for the future um and um yeah and i just want to underscore well first of all thank you for being so open and candid about your experiences but i want to just underscore that idea of like a chemical imbalance because that was something like i would either here in psych, I'm also a psych major. So, so I would hear in psych classes or just like from friends and family, like using that language. And that was just kind of like hard for me to wrap my head around because like we would see the behavioral manifestations of like, oh no, you're just like, whatever, you're not motivated or you're tired or whatever, like the symptoms are, but to like, think like, no, it's actually a chemical imbalance that like you're not using your medication as a crutch you're using it as like to get you to baseline to get back to yourself i think that's really important language for me to hear again so thank you for sharing that and then also the language you use like these are episodes of these moments like this is really helpful for me to hear this specific language and kind of on that note of like language you mentioned your sister really helped you out in that second episode. What did she say or do that really kind of helped you out in, in those moments? Yeah. So um, it was definitely like a very scary time for like me and like for the family, but um, basically I ended up uh, again, like um, by like uh, by like a lake and I wasn't necessarily like planning to do anything, but I was just like very scared again. Like I didn't know what to do. I want to be alone from like everyone else. Like, that's another like another symptom that's common, um, like withdrawal from uh, from other people. And so I was very scared. And I just remember I sent her a, a, a text, I think maybe I called her, but I think I sent her a text and I just said, like, I'm at this park, like I need help. And then like, I'm sure that was very scary for her to see because like I didn't answer my phone for a while after that. And I remember she uh, she got to the park and it was a very like emotional event that like occurred. She uh, she called the ambulances. And she was like, I just remember her saying like again and again and again, like, it's going to be okay. Like these people are going to help. Like, no matter what, like, we're going to get this figured out. Like we're all here for you. And then, um, yeah. And then also on that note, like just as my, and my family as a whole is being supportive. Well, I mean, first of all, the fact that like I had someone to call or text or whatever I did, um, is like huge. Like, I think everyone needs that. Like someone that like, you can tell when things really aren't going well. So that was great. Um, and then, also like what at the hospital they have, like uh, they take away your phone just so you can focus totally on what's going on with you and most hospitals or some hospitals at least. And, uh, and they also have like limited like visitation hours. And um, I just remember like mine are always booked. And like, I remember even like the other like patients or clients at the, uh, in the hospital, they were just like, like, dang, like Derek must be a popular guy. Like he's got like all these people coming in. And I remember, uh, like my, like my brother would come in for 20 minutes and like, I think that was all, like the intervals and then my sister would come in for 20 minutes. Like that was it for the day. And the next day my mom and dad would come in and like, everyone was just there like every day. And then even, uh, shout out to, uh, to my girlfriend, uh, Rachel Levy. Um, she would call me on the phone like every day. And again, like the other patients there were just like, who is this guy? Like getting phone calls every day and like has all these people. But, um, yeah. So I think that that like whole like support system um, for sure was, uh, was, uh, super helpful and like is key to like, anyone recovering. It doesn't, it's not just something you can do on your own. 
forgive me for not knowing the statistics, but I mean, I would imagine that everybody at least knows somebody who has a mental illness that they're working through. So I don't think, I think this, this message will, will help a lot of people if they're listening and like selfishly, I would love to know like the best practices, like really in like fine grained detail on like what to say or not to say to a friend. Maybe, maybe there's two answers like acutely in these times of like these episodes. It sounds like your sister's language was like, it's going to be okay. You're going to see professionals. You're going to get help. It's going to be all right. And then just like more generally, how do you, how do you recommend people go about being like the best support network they can be? Is it checking in all the time or is it like talking about it, not talking about it? How would you recommend navigating that to be the, the best uh, support network you can be? Yeah. I mean, I get that question a lot. I'll talk about a couple of things, but I think the biggest thing um, and the thing that I teach a lot in therapy is uh, to be non-judgmental of what's going on with someone. So like, for me, like I talked about, and like, I have like, you know, like one of the most like loving supportive families that I, that I know. And even like with all that, I remember thinking like, I can't tell them about these thoughts. Like they're not going to understand. Like, like this is like so scary for me. I'm sure it's gonna be so scary for them. Like, I don't want them to worry. So I think, you know, maybe even like, I would probably vocalize it and just say like, you know, like whatever, like maybe you're struggling right now, like whatever you're going through, you know, like you can come and talk to me about it. Um, and like, I think that, um, Another thing that like people kind of like get stuck on is that like in those times, like maybe not even that crisis, but just like in those times when they're having those conversations with someone um, that they don't really like, know what to say. Like, it's kind of an uncomfortable like situation uh, to be in with someone. And so what I would say is that one, like cut yourself some slack. If you're not a trained professional. You don't need to know exactly what to say. And uh, it's something like I still like, I'm not like a trained professional. Um, I don't know what to say like hundred percent of the time either. But I think that like a lot of times, like what people want, or at least what I want in my circumstances, you hear it all the time, but I just want someone to listen to me and like get my thoughts out of my head and like talk to someone else about it. Or yeah, like I know that um, a lot of times what people think when they're and, like, they're meeting it well and, um, you know, they're trying to help someone is they think, you know, like if I like give them advice or I say like, you need to do this, 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 and this, and this, like maybe like that'll help or Maybe um, a lot of times I hear people try to like relate it to their own circumstances or feelings or things like that. And I would just say that um, one, like, you know, like as you're uh, like recommending advice and things like that, like as you're meaning it to come from a, a good spot and like definitely can help at times in certain scenarios, you know, like at the, if you're inside this person's head, like they don't want to feel the way they're feeling. Like they don't want, they don't want to have like suicide ideations or like any other like thoughts so at least for me, my experience was, I was kind of like, I've tried that dummy. Like I've tried everything. Like I'm trying to get out of this. I'm like, trying to, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to do everything I can. So like, I've tried that. Like it kind of like feels frustrating, but with that caveat of like, you know, like there's like definitely like you can like recommend like good, like coping techniques or skills or things like that. But, um, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily like make that like the emphasis of every time that like someone's trying to vent to you, that you're just like correcting them. And then sometimes like, I know a lot of people like to like empathize with other people and like relate to them, uh, which again has its place. I totally think. Um, but, um, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, like, again, like you just want to like vent and like get, get your thoughts out there and like 
be validated and just be like, man, like that must be really difficult. I can't imagine what you're going through. But sometimes when people are like, oh yeah, like I felt that before, like, like this, this, and this, then it's kind of like invalidating in a sense that you're just like, well, like you've been in my head, like you don't know what I'm going through exactly. Like, um, and like things like that. So, um, again, like I would just say like, you know, like validate the person, like just say like, I don't know necessarily what you're going through. Like, I don't totally understand, but like, I feel for you and like, I'm here for you. Um, and like, I'm always here to talk, uh, if you want that. Yeah. And then, uh, like I said, there's always like, there's definitely a spot for like empathy and advice, but I just, I don't know if I would recommend making that like the center point of the conversation. No, that's super helpful for me to hear. Um, because I would imagine it would come across as like trying to be self-referencing. It's like, if it's like almost like you're turning the conversation about you, it's like, Oh, Oh, I've, Oh, I, I can feel for you. I, I I've been kind of there. It's like, no, like, like you said, just listen and validate, let them know you're there. That is really awesome advice, especially for me to hear. And I want to talk about since having like reflected on this experience, you've spent a lot of time, effort, and energy on advocacy and awareness. And I'd say first, just like, how did you have the courage to speak out about your experience? So um, I think like at the time, it was kind of two things. So one, like I was really, 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 really frustrated because I felt like you know, like after learning about like through my experience more and then becoming a psych major, um, that like I could see it in so many other people. And I was like, man, I know that like all you guys are struggling. Like, why is no one talking about like, this would have helped me so much if someone would have talked about, like, I would have like been able to like understand what was going on with me maybe, or just like understood that like, it's okay. that Like I'm not okay right now. And like, that would have helped me, I guess. So I was really frustrated that like, I saw it all over campus, all over student athletes, um, in general. Um, and like, no one, no one seemed to talk about it again, probably because it's part of that culture that, um, we have as athletes where like, it's, you know, tough it out, like push through the pain, which, you know, can help us in a lot of aspects, but not necessarily in mental health, um, in some, in some ways. So, so yeah, so I was really frustrated at the time. And then, um, also, uh, on my team. So we had, uh, another teammate of mine or I never played with him, but he was, uh, he was there the year before me, um, Ty Pelton Bice. Um, he had left the year before due to some mental health difficulties he was having. And, uh, he was, um, kind of forced to take a year off because of those mental health issues. And, um, when I got to school, um, I had kind of heard about him, but like, I didn't really like know what was going on. Like I would ask about like, who, like, who is this? Like, you know, like, why isn't he here? And like, people would kind of like, wouldn't really give me like a straight answer or kind of just didn't want to talk about it. Um, which I understand like it's a difficult conversation to have, but I just was really frustrated that, uh, that it could have helped me, um, through, you know, what I was going through. So I wanted to like, kind of like, you know, like a lot of people are doing now, like kind of speak out on it and try to help uh, reduce the stigma of it a bit. Also, like I knew that, uh, like in a, in a kind of an interesting, uh, maybe even like a funny way, uh, I knew that, uh, most of my like direct friends, like my family knew what was going on, but I was also like, I was like, man, like those kids, like you see in the dining hall and like, you know, like I'm not going to see you for a while. And like those kids, like, they're not going to know what's going on. I was like, I don't really want to text all of them and like explain what's going on. I was like, maybe I'll just write about it. <laughs> so that's kind of a funny, uh, funny thing too. But, uh, obviously it was mainly the frustration and like wanting to help other people. Um, but that was just kind of a funny bit too. 
Yeah, no, that is funny. And I'd say it, it sounds like you mentioned you've had conversations with others. And I'd imagine a lot of other student athletes just in the news this week, tennis superstar Naomi Osaka kind of bowing out of competition for anxiety and depression, working through that. I mean, there's uh, the Michael Phelps documentary, Weight of Gold. I don't know if you've watched that, just kind of outlining the issues with mental health in the Olympics. And I'd be interested to hear if you'd be willing to share, obviously, anonymously, but like, what are some themes that you've heard um, having had these conversations with students, student athletes on the page, kind of like things are going well, you know, but beneath the surface, everybody's working through something. Are there any themes that you've heard and you can share? Uh, so first, when I was writing the article, actually, I had this idea to, um, to like, just find like some quotes maybe of like some other like student athletes that are going through like anonymously, maybe to say like, you know, like women's softball, like men's swimming, like said this, 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 which uh, was, uh, I thought a pretty cool idea. And I ended up, I think I just sent like a message out, maybe in, like my like Harvard, like class Facebook group or something like that. And like, I, I knew some other people that were going through similar things and I ended up having like, like 13 different quotes or something like that. And I, and I was like, Whoa, like, this is crazy. Like, I didn't know this many people like wanted to like not put their name on, but like speak out on it. And, uh, we ended up having to cut a lot of them cause it's hard to fit 13 quotes in like an article that's supposed to be semi short. But, um, I think that, um, especially like at Harvard, like one of the biggest themes is, um, like I mentioned, even like perfectionism, um, you're like so focused on everything being, uh, so like perfect and like to the point you have like these like black and white thoughts where it's like i like either i do this or i'm a failure you know or like there's no like middle ground there's no gray area and you know like that like produces like a lot of stress like a lot of anxiety um to some extent like unnecessary like some stress is like um probably good uh but like it definitely reaches a point where it's not healthy yeah so i would say perfection is a is a big theme uh I think that uh, I haven't experienced this one, uh, but um, a big one that I found like through uh, a lot of people, but especially uh, um, like our uh, female student athletes is um, like body image issues um, that like I've never really thought about too much before until I wrote the article because they've talked about a lot like this rub between like they're trying to um, become like the most like in shape and like best athlete they can be. But at the same time, like, like society as a whole, like in some, in some aspects, like looks down on um, like the, like super muscular, like it's not like super like attractive to like in society. So I kind of like have like this, like, like dichotomy of like, you know, like what am I supposed to do? And, uh, and that leads to like a lot of like eating disorders or things like that, or, um, or even just like in society as a whole, not even student athletes, like, you know, women are supposed to have like this perfect body type or, um, or specific one, like super skinny or things like that that's not necessarily like inclusive of everyone, like just everyday, like normal people. So that's another big one. And then also like, uh, I've heard a lot about like, like obviously like school stressors and things like that, but like specific to student athletes is like the pressure to perform and how that weighs on people because like, you know, you're treated like as like almost like you're almost like to like the pro level. So you're kind of treated as one. And like, you know, if you don't perform well, like you're on the bench or you're not playing or, um, 
or, you know, like for like hockey, like you're in the stands, like you're not even like dressed for the game. So um, I think that, uh, that that pressure that people have and like don't really know how to cope with uh, student athletes is another big theme. No, thank you for sharing those. And I've had conversations with female student athletes like, yeah, they're like, oh, we, we just fake doing the, the workouts in the weight room. Oh, we don't do the upper body workouts. We just look like we're doing them. We, and then that carries over to some unhealthy eating habits. And I, myself, I guess, kind of self-diagnosed some, I'd say quasi, like, I think it's called body dysmorphia is what you're saying. And you mentioned in female athletes, but just like myself, I had the opposite. I thought like I was, I wasn't big enough. I had this goal in mind from a coach that said, Oh, you should be this height, this weight, this strong, whatever. And for me, I just remember like looking at like my legs and my dad's legs, who's whatever, 30 plus years older than me. And like, I couldn't tell the difference. I thought like mine were as skinny as his, which was just like objectively false, but you can't, you can't tell yourself otherwise. I remember like looking in the mirror and telling myself like, like you're just like not big enough, whatever, where like objectively I was like too big, whatever. So I, I think it is worth mentioning that it's not just like a female or like female student athlete issue, but that, that is good to hear. Like the perfectionism, the body dysmorphia, the pressure to perform on top of everything you've shared. Like there is no one cookie cutter. Like this is a mental health issue. Like it presents itself in, I'm sure dozens, hundreds of different ways. So I think that's also important to kind of emphasize. Are there any, are there any resources for individuals or that like might themselves be struggling? And then I'd say part two to that question would be, are there any resources that you could share that are been helpful for like friends, for family support networks that you've come across or would recommend? Obviously there's the, uh, like the national suicide hotline, if you're in crisis and like, that's the first thing you should call uh, if you're ever in, um, any form of crisis with a mental health issue. Um, that's the first number you should call, but then, um, you know, like hopefully that deescalates, uh, and you get to a more stable place. Um, and then, um, you know, hopefully like you get some professional help, I would say. Um, but first I think those conversations start with like whoever is closest with you. Um, so, um, for me, that was my family and my girlfriend, um, uh, eventually. Um, and, um, but yeah, so I think that, you know, once you have those conversations with your family and friends and maybe they start to say, no, we can't really help you anymore. Like we listened to you event for a long time. Like we don't really, we're not professionals. Like we don't really know what to do to help you anymore. And then, um, and then like, hopefully they, you know, kind of help you make that next step to, uh, to reach out to a therapist, which, uh, you know, can be difficult. Like there's a, there's a lot of mental health issues nowadays and not enough therapists. So, um, it can be difficult to find one, but, um, I think for me, at least that's where like my family support network came in and like, they helped me like find someone, uh, and find someone that like I liked and like worked well with me and like had like the kind of therapy that I liked. So it's definitely a process, but I would say, yeah, it's, those conversations start with those who are closest with you and then hopefully expands out further if you need that. That's, that's awesome to, to just kind of reinforce that, that support network. And I just want to be mindful of the time we've been, we've been running for a while. Maybe we could close out with some, some rapid fire questions and maybe in around two in the future, you're more than just 
this one kind of like sliver of your identity. You got a whole lot of other things going on in your life, not to mention just being a student athlete. I mean, writing photography and these other like creative outlets that you have, like, I think we could probably have spent just as much time diving into those. So that's just kind of maybe put it, put it on the back burner for, for another conversation. But I would love to hear, I always try and ask my guests, are there one to three books that you would recommend or that maybe you've gifted to college age friends more than any others? Does any book come to mind? Yeah, uh, I have a couple of good ones. So um, one is called the five second rule. And uh, it's, uh, you know, one that like relates to mental health uh, that I think could help a lot of people. But um, basically, it talks about how um, this idea that like, if you count down from five, um, then it kind of helps you like, take the leap of like doing like anything that you want to do versus like, if you're counting out, there's not like an end point to it. Um, so she, uh, the author, um, comes up with this idea. Like if you count down from five, you can say like five, four, three, two, one, I want to do this, or I want to, you know, like have a different thought or like, or like things like that. Um, that just kind of helps you like take that extra step. And, uh, and it, you know, like it works in like a lot of realms. Like if you're just like, okay, I don't want to work out today. <laughs> and you're like five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Now I'm going to go work out. Like, um, it just kind of, um, helps you like develop a new mindset of like how to like get yourself to do things that sometimes are difficult. Um, and then, uh, just some, uh, some fun ones. I'm actually reading Fahrenheit 451 right now by Ray Bradbury. Um, yep. and, uh, and that's a pretty great book. Uh, I like Ray Bradbury a lot. I had to read uh, Martian Chronicles for, um, for my Xbox or our intro writing class at school. And, um, yeah, so that's a great book. Yeah. No, those are, those are awesome. And I'll obviously link them all in the show notes. Another fun one, it might be a dead end. Do you have a favorite morning or nighttime routine that you stick by that you have day in, day out? So my morning routine is pretty, uh, pretty typical and not too exciting, but uh, I literally wake up and I mean, I work out at seven and it's like a 35 minute drive. So I literally wake up, like put on clothes, eat a banana and then like walk out the door. So that one's not too exciting. Um, but, uh, nighttime. Um, so I have an internship too, uh, at a therapy practice I'm doing right now. Um, so I get done with that about like five o'clock and then, um, usually from, uh, I don't know, like, uh, like five to six, like I kind of just like takes like some downtime, like for myself or like kind of talk to, uh, to my girlfriend, like my family or just like, you know, don't do anything productive, like just take some downtime and, uh, and uh, maybe like watch TV or something like that. And then, um, you know, eat dinner with my family. And then, um, you know, lately I've been doing uh, like reading a little bit or, um, you know, just kind of like taking those extra like two or three hours to just kind of like decompress from the day. And like, I think that's really crucial um, from like, especially like as like a busy, like college student uh, to take that time, you know, like when you get done with practice, things like that. I mean, I don't have two or three hours to spare, but maybe like, uh, like a half hour, even just 10 minutes, just to uh, do something that, uh, you know, kind of calms your brain and lets you just decompress for the day. And I think that's especially important in like the Harvard environment. That's always like, go, go, go. You always got to do more and more and more. And maybe it's not like actually scheduled into your calendar, but just like having that like mental block of like, nope, this hour, it's okay to not be productive, you know? 
I think like I've like at times done a good job of that. And then at other times, like not done a good job at that, trying to pack as much as you can in a day. And that does not bode well doing more and more and more does not mean you're actually going to get better results. So, so thank you for, for sharing that. Maybe just a, a, a few more. Are there any, this is one of my favorite questions. Is there a, a quote or mantra that you either live by or kind of find yourself repeating often lately? Um, yeah, I think that, um, that probably like the mantra that like I've kind of lived by, you know, through my experiences, uh, in the last, uh, you know, what is it? Three years now, but, um, kind of just helps me through like when I'm training, uh, or if I'm going through something difficult and, uh, in other aspects is that, uh, is that this too shall pass. Uh, that's kind of like the quote that like I live by. Um, and I, like, I use it a lot, like when I'm working out and, uh, I'm going through like a difficult set or a difficult rep or like, you know, like running or conditioning or something like that. Uh, and like, I'm just like, all right, man, like this too shall pass. <laughs> um, and yeah. it kind of helps me through. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of a good quote that I like to live by. I love that. And I mean, I've heard it. Do you know, do you know who said that or is that? Uh, I'm not sure. I actually heard it first from uh, one of my therapists. And, uh, I think that she did mention that it was from someone, not just like a, a general quote, but I can't remember who at the moment. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll look it up in and link it but yeah that is powerful obviously in like the small sense of like oh i got 30 more minutes or on this bike or whatever it might be to the to the more um more meaningful moments so i like that i think i'm gonna take that one to heart so thank you and and last one do you have i guess open up anything you'd like to share on this last question, but maybe the question to guide it, is there kind of a message that you wish you could pass on to every college kid? If you want to have like a more specific question or anything you'd like to, to share, to, to round this out. I think that the message that I want to, or I would pass on to like a young me in college or any college kid is that one, like, a lot of people say it, but, um, it's going to be difficult for sure. Like it's gonna, it's gonna, um, test you a lot of times and not just like academically, but like socially, socially for me, like physically in my, in my sport and, or, uh, or whatever club you're in or anything like that. And that also there's going to be an adjustment period for sure. I mean, I even like had lived away from home for two years, so I didn't really get too homesick, but, um, I know a lot of kids experience that, um, when they get to school and like, you know, uh, a lot of times like colleges are more difficult than high school uh, as far as academics go. You're meeting new people and there's a lot to do. Um, so yeah, there's definitely going to be an adjustment. That's what I would say. Um, then lastly, just to kind of, uh, you know, end on like the, what we've been talking about on the mental health note is, uh, you know, like it's, it's like, first of all, it's okay not to be okay. I know that's like a phrase that's used a lot nowadays, but it's totally true that um, whatever you're feeling like, it's not wrong. Like it's not bad that it just is what it is. And, uh, and whatever it is good or bad, you can work through it. And then, um, yeah, I think just, uh, like we talked about, like the importance of in college, like taking time for yourself. I think that helped me so much, uh, is to just take that downtime, uh, away from school, like, uh, away from hockey, away from friends, like just like for you, um, whatever that is, like, whether that's like watching TV or reading a book or, meditating or whatever you want to do. Yeah. 
Derek, that's a great way to end. I want to say an extra big thank you for being so open about what can be a difficult topic. So I appreciate you helping us move the needle to decrease the stigma of talking about these, these things that either everybody goes through or everybody knows somebody who's going through. So big thank you to you. You've obviously thought about this stuff a lot, and this has been super helpful. I don't know if you can see a page full of notes. So um, this will be really, really helpful for me to go back and think on. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. All right. Be well. Thanks. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that one. As always, you can find links to everything we discussed, show notes, and a lot more goodies like my favorite reads on my website at chrismcgrory.net. That's C-H-R-I-S-M-C-G-R-O-R-Y dot net. Thanks so much and see you next time.